0: Good morning, church family. I hope you have your copy of God's Word out in front of you. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 23 and 24 this morning. Just these two verses. uh, Look at this closing benediction now. Um, I've got it mapped out for us to conclude this uh, book very, very soon. And so I hope you will be encouraged. Let's read together 1 Thessalonians 5 23 and 24. The Bible says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Gracious Father, Lord, I am grateful uh, this morning that you know our frame. Lord, that you know that we were formed from the dust. You, even better than we do, understand our frailty. Father, you know our need. Lord, I ask you this morning that you would visit us and be pleased to do so with your grace. Through the preaching of your word and the working of your spirit, so that feeble knees might be strengthened, that your people might be encouraged, that you might provide rest for the weary. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. Um, who, listening to this, would say, I'm tired? Would you say that this morning? Is that true of you? Would you say that you are tired? Uh, Many of you know my current situation, having a newborn at the house. I didn't sleep particularly well last night. I would say that I am tired. But I would also say I'm more, if I was being honest, I'm, I'm more than just physically tired. I'm spiritually tired. I mean, it has been a long, difficult week in the string of many long and difficult weeks. And so maybe I'd ask you this morning not just to consider whether you are physically tired, but are you weary? Is there anyone out here listening to this that would say, I am weary? Well, if so, I believe I've got some good news for you this morning from this closing peace benediction we find in our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In it, Uh, the big idea really is that God will finish what he started. God will finish what he started. That's encouraging news to those who are weary and tired, isn't it? So I want to look at this passage in some detail, but as I do that, I want to keep really two primary points at the forefront of your mind as we work our way through this passage. The first point I would like for you to keep in mind is that Paul's benediction here offers us a proper confidence. Paul's benediction offers us a proper confidence and it is a confidence that you and I so desperately need but Paul's benediction also offers us a powerful certainty and I I hope you see that as we make our way through this particular text. Uh, Paul writes, uh, first let's begin with Paul's benediction offers us a proper confidence and let's look at verse 23 where Paul writes this. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul prays for here. Uh, He prays for the Thessalonians, but notice what he prays that the Lord would do for them. He prays that the Lord would sanctify them, that the Lord would keep them blameless. In other words, that the Lord would make them holy. That's essentially what Paul's praying for here. This is the first kind of sub-point under this title of a proper confidence. Paul prays for holiness. Paul prays for holiness. This peace benediction is a prayer for God to make the Thessalonians holy. Both of these verbs here, to sanctify or to preserve, blameless, they are two verbs that emphasize this idea of holiness. But remember what exactly holiness is. It's that setting apart unto the Lord, being devoted to him, walking in his ways, walking in the spirit, living under his revealed will, the word of God. So it's no surprise here in this passage that Paul is praying for the holiness of the Thessalonians, for it has been one of the major themes running throughout this entire letter. If you recall, Paul opened this letter by commending the Thessalonians for their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He commended them and thanks God for their outward and visible signs of holiness that bore witness to the reality that they really had turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul testified that he had modeled a holy life for them when he had been among them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 Paul wrote, You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And then in verse 12 Paul had encouraged them and, and, uh, and, and, and charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God, to walk in holiness. Then at the end of chapter 3, after Paul had encouraged them to increase in love more and more, he said they ought to do that so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Blameless in holiness. Those are the two words, the two ideas, two phrases we find even in our text this morning. Of course, in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul had taught the Thessalonians that God's will for them was their sanctification. So Paul told them they most, must know how to control their own bodies in holiness and honor. That God had not called them to impurity, but holiness. I mean, just think about all that we've viewed and, and considered in this letter. Do you get the impression that holiness was important to the Apostle Paul? Listen, the theme of holiness even occurs in, in this lengthy discussion from 1 Thessalonians 4:13 to 5:11, as Paul is talking about the return of Christ. There Paul reminded the Thessalonians that they are not in darkness, for they are all children of light. He says, "You are all sons of light." in 1 Thessalonians 5:5. 5, 5. "Sons of the day, we are not of the night, nor of darkness." Paul says, you've been called out of the night. You are no longer of the darkness. They've been set apart for God for they are holy. Even the verses that directly precede this peace benediction in verses 12 through 22, we find Paul exhorting them to holiness. That we don't find it explicitly stated, but we know holiness requires esteem and respect for congregational leaders Holiness requires peace among themselves as they admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, devote themselves to the weak. Dealing patiently with all and pursuing the good, holiness will never be realized where the Spirit of God is quenched or the Word of God is despised. Holiness is always in danger where people lack discernment, where they are unable to distinguish between the good and every form of evil. So this letter to the Thessalonians has as one of its primary themes the importance of holiness. After all, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. This is not just a random prayer request. We read here from Paul. This is not just some nice way for him to end the letter. This is a way to remind them of much of what he said throughout this epistle itself. Paul is petitioning the God of peace to accomplish the very thing Paul has both implicitly and explicitly exhorted the Thessalonians to pursue throughout his letter. He petitions God to accomplish their sanctification. But notice, Paul doesn't just pray for their sanctification. Notice, Paul prays that God would sanctify them completely. Did you see that? Paul prays for God to sanctify them completely. In fact, he says their whole spirit, soul, and body. So Paul doesn't just emphasize their need for holiness, but also the necessary extent of their need for holiness. How much holiness do they actually need? And he does this, first of all, by saying, may he sanctify, your preserve your whole spirit, soul, and body. Now, this is the only place in the entirety of the New Testament where the Bible speaks of some sort of tripartite makeup of human nature. But, but Paul's point is, is not just to say that human beings are made up of three constituent parts. Paul is pointing to the thoroughness of God's preserving work. That's his point. Paul is essentially praying that that God would keep the Thessalonians blameless from head to toe, that the entirety of their being would be preserved and kept from corruption and guilt in the day of the Lord. He's praying God would sanctify them, preserve them inside and out, forwards and backwards, every which way but loose. He is praying uh, that the whole personhood, that the entirety of their person, both physical and spiritual, would be made. Made holy and preserved so that their entire lives would be transformed right their their public lives as much as their private lives their their church lives as much as their work lives their their work lives as much as their recreational lives that every aspect of their lives were to be set apart for God paul prays for nothing less than holiness in every part of their person and church family If this is what the Apostle Paul prays for, then this is what the people of God must labor toward. Uh, Paul's prayer, after all, is, is really just a reminder of all the commandments in the letter and is therefore an applied command itself. That you and I are actually to pursue the very thing that Paul is asking God to accomplish. And so I think there's an obvious implication here, isn't it? Let me point it out for you, is that you and I need to be sanctified. You and I need sanctification. You and I need to walk in holiness. It will not come as a surprise to many of you to find that we have not arrived yet. We know that there is remaining corruption in us. Our flesh still wages war with the Spirit. Even our very best deeds are, are tainted by ungodly motives. Our sanctification, if we're honest, our sanctification feels like we are climbing up a slip and slide at an 80 degree angle right it's like an eternal game of whack-a-mole you remember that that game i don't know about you but that that's really what my sanctification feels like so i'll deal with anger at home but then i'll recognize i've been grumbling and complaining At work, And so I'll deal with that grumbling and complaining at work and then I recognize I've been entertaining lustful thoughts. And so I'll slay those lustful thoughts and then I recognize that my own pride has tainted the way I perceive my brothers and sisters in Christ. And around and around and around it goes. The moles just keep popping up everywhere. I mean, who wouldn't get weary of that? Who doesn't get tired? Who doesn't get tempted to give up? Or to give in. But I want to do something for you. I really want to point out two ways that I believe this passage really does bring relief to us. I, I want to point out two ways that this passage brings relief, because I know that I can't be the only one who's who's tired. I know I can't be the only one who's weary. Uh, the first way that I believe this passage brings relief to us, and mind you, this might not immediately sound like something that brings relief to us, but I believe that it is, is that this passage reminds us that you and I will need to be sanctified until Christ returns. We will need sanctification until Christ returns. Now, how in the world does that provide relief for us? Well, friends, it's because this is our life. This is our lot. This is the path we walk on. We will always need to grow in holiness. And isn't so much of our struggle believing that you and I should be better by now? I mean, isn't that what makes this so grueling is that we look at our lives, we look at how sinful we are, we look in the mirror and say, man, I really should be further along than I actually am. I really should be less feeble. I really should be more consistent. Is this not at least part of what plagues you and causes you to doubt? But friends, I think what we have in this passage is the Apostle Paul saying it, it, it's not simply the case, I think that's an encouraging thing that he tells us it's not simply the case. And listen, hear me, I'm not speaking to people who are not currently walking with the Lord. I'm, I'm speaking to Christians who are fighting day in and day out, but are struggling to walk on this path, are struggling to grow in holiness, are struggling to be sanctified. Christian, do you know when you will stop needing to be sanctified? You know the answer. It will be the day the Lord Jesus Christ returns or when he calls you home to be with him and not a moment sooner than that. In fact, the reality is the day that Jesus returns, you and I will be sinning. Mortifying that sin, hopefully. Confessing that sin, certainly I pray, but not a moment sooner than that. In fact, you want to know what much of our sanctification process actually is? It's not only this, but much of the sanctification process is us growing and having a growing awareness of our own sinfulness. That's much of what the sanctification process is, growing in our awareness of how many of our deeds are actually done with ungodly motives. How many of our thoughts are actually displeasing to the Lord. How often... Uh, We fail. How often we choose ourselves instead of others. How far away we really are from loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a large part of the sanctification process. It's growing in an awareness of that. Never becoming desensitized to it. Quite the opposite. We grow to hate it more and more. And in doing so, we grow to long for Jesus to return. Uh, It doesn't end until we're with him. But sanctification is not glorification. In sanctification, we grow in our ability to spot the moles. We grow in our trust that one day the Lord will remove them all. Our job is because the Lord is so graciously helping us become aware of them. And because we trust the Lord that eventually he's going to remove them all. Our job is just to keep whacking the moles. We don't despair when there are more and more. We don't go prideful when there are less. We cut off every sin as it rears its ugly head every time. And we know that there is more where that came from. So that's the first way I believe this passage offers us relief. Here's the second way our passage brings relief. The second reminds us our confidence is not in us. This passage brings relief to us because it reminds us our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is in the God of peace. Notice, by the way, that Paul writes, he he doesn't just write, may the God of peace. Even though if he did, that would have been enough to give us confidence and bring us comfort. But Paul instead writes, may the God of peace be himself, church family, remember, there is no such thing as superfluous words in the scripture. God, Paul adds this intensive pronoun with a purpose. And in fact, he literally puts it at the beginning of the sentence. So if you read this literally in the Greek, it says, himself, the God of peace, may sanctify. Why would he do that? Well, I believe it's because Paul is stressing the importance, he's putting the stress on God's role in our sanctification and not in the human ability of the Thessalonians. That's what he's doing. Paul was asking God to, at the end of the day, do what only God can do. So, So Christian, if you are tired and you are weary of fighting the good fight, can I ask you, is it possible that you're tired and weary because you've been doing that in your own strength? Is it possible that you've laid the stress on your role in sanctification instead of, as Paul does, laying the stress on God's role? Where's your confidence? Trust God. Listen, We labor because we believe with all of our heart that we do not labor in vain. We continue to fight against the flesh daily because we believe with all our hearts that the Holy Spirit's the one leading the charge. We strive for holiness because we believe that God will fulfill his promise and sanctify us. Rest in him. And I'm speaking to you, Christian, regardless of what you think Or feel there is coming a day where there will be no more moles for you to whack, where there will be no more sins. Every thought you think will be pure and holy. Do you understand that? I mean, do you long for that? Where your affections will be true and righteous, every single one of them. Will you actually value? Only what God values and you will desire only what God desires. There is coming a day, despite how you think, feel, or act now, where you will be like Jesus. You will be blameless, as hard as that is to imagine. And and listen, it should be hard for us to imagine. If that's not hard for you to imagine, then friends, you've got a much bigger problem than what I'm speaking to you about. It should be hard for us to imagine, but it does not make it any less true. You and I will be like Jesus. This proper confidence that I'm speaking of, it is grounded in a powerful certainty. We'll move on to consider the rest of this short message in this way. Paul's benediction offers us a powerful certainty. And and really, what's interesting is this is rare for Paul. I don't think he does this in any of his other peace benedictions that he writes in all of his letters, uh, but he adds a word of comfort here in verse 24, and it is a word of comfort. Look at what he says. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. This is one of the fundamental truths we learn about God. Literally, he says, faithful is he who is calling you. And, And who will do this? See, the word order places the emphasis on the faithfulness of God. In fact, this powerful certainty I'm speaking of, it's grounded in just two truths we find in this verse. One, it's grounded in the fact that God is faithful. Because God is faithful. Friends, you know it to be true. This is foundational to the gospel. We see it all throughout the Old Testament, unlike us. God never breaks his promise. Unlike us, God never changes his mind. Unlike us, God never decides to go in a different direction. God is utterly, absolutely, resolutely faithful, always and forever. Just look at his record, consider his resume. The entire Bible bears witness to the extraordinary, extravagant faithfulness of God from the very beginning where God promised to rescue his people despite their rebellion, despite their sin and unfaithfulness. He promised to rescue his people through a coming uh, redeemer who is going to bruise the head of the serpent, who's going to defeat the accuser, crush the head of the liar. That promise, that plan of redemption is carried forward through the faithfulness of God. Think about the biblical story. Think about the promises of redemption in Genesis 3.15. It's carried forward solely by God's faithfulness. So even when the Lord saw that every thought and intention of of man was, was, was evil continually, the Lord remained faithful. How? By saving Noah and his family. Even when all the nations conspired against their creator by building a tower to make a name for themselves... The Lord called Abram out of the nations in order to bless the very nations that had rebelled against him. Even when Abram's great grandchildren had sold out Joseph, who God had chosen into slavery, God uses their very act to provide for them when they would have otherwise starved. God is faithful. He's faithful to the unjust as well as the just, as to the unrighteous as well as the righteous, to the evil as well as the pure. God is faithful. Listen, really all of Israel's history is just a history of their unfaithfulness in contrast to the incredible, unfathomable, breathtaking faithfulness of God. See, man's problem has never been God's faithfulness. Man's problem has always been man's unfaithfulness. And if there were ever any doubts of all about the faithfulness of God, God's faithfulness was forever secured at the cross of Calvary. Uh, We can have our confidence in the faithfulness of God and that confidence has forever been secured right then and there where God sent his only begotten son to satisfy his divine wrath and bear our sins on that tree. To receive in his body the wrath and punishment due for our sins and for our unfaithfulness. God's faithfulness was perfectly, unquestionably demonstrated before all the world in the life, death, and resurrection, ascension, and current intercession of Jesus Christ. All of God's promises have become yes and amen in him. God is faithful. So as Paul wrote to the Corinthians... 1 Corinthians one nine. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The writer of Hebrews grounds his confidence in the faithfulness of God in Hebrews 10.23 where he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope for he who promised is faithful. John even grounds his faithfulness to forgive us of our sins in the faithfulness of God. He grounds his confidence in God to be able to forgive us in God's faithfulness in first John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Don't you understand? Listen, this even goes beyond his resume. This even goes beyond simply his revelation of his work and and who he is, uh, his, his work and actions and deeds contained in the Old Testament. God is faithful by his own very nature. Don't you understand that? He never changes. He is perfect in perfection, as James put it. In James 1:17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Because God does not change. So how can a God who does not change be anything less than faithful? He is who he was and is and will be. His promises, they're firm. His will it's established. His purposes, they are set. God is more faithful than the sun that rises in the east, more faithful than the stars that appear every night, more faithful than a hot Florida summer or pollen covering your car in a Florida spring. God is perfectly faithful. Most of you probably have assented that truth. I hope it's not the first time you've heard that God is faithful, but let me ask you, Christian, do you live in light of that reality? Do your lives reflect that you actually believe that God is faithful? Listen. Church, do not look at your efforts and your progress to gauge God's faithfulness. Don't do that. Forget what lies behind and spring forward to what lies ahead. Press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, verse 24 he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. See, not only do we have this powerful certainty grounded in the very nature of God and the very character of God as faithful, demonstrated throughout the whole Old Testament, but secondly, we must understand, not only is this because God is faithful, but it's because God is calling. because God is calling. The word calling, Paul speaks of here, is in what we call the present participle. What that means is it indicates that uh, an ongoing or continuous nature of his calling. It's not God called you, it's God is calling you. This faithful God is the one who is calling you even in this very moment. His calling will continue until his goal has come to completion. What's the goal? Remember 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, God is calling you into his own kingdom and glory. Think of it this way. God has called you and God doesn't drop any calls. He has the ultimate perfect network. If God is on the line saying, can you hear me now? The answer is always yes. As David said to God in Psalm 139, our scripture reading for the day in verses 7 through 12... He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both light to you remember, saints, this calling that Paul refers to here, it's part of God's eternal plan that's been established before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world. Romans 8 testifies to that, right? Verses 29 and 30, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is the God who knows the beginning from the end. You are being sanctified. Now listen, it doesn't have to look like you want it to look. It doesn't have to feel like what you wanted it to feel like. Your very worst days that you belong to Christ are means by which God is shaping you into the image of his Son. Your weakest moments are nothing more than tools in God's hands to make you more like Jesus. Don't doubt God and don't rely on yourself. Trust him. Paul put it like this in his letter to the Philippians. He says he writes in, in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So again, let me ask you, who's tired this morning? Are you tired? Rest in the faithfulness of God. Do you feel as though your burden is too heavy? God is faithful. Do you believe that the temptation is great? Guess what? God is faithful. Do you think that the change is too small or the weight is too long or the hill is too steep. God is faithful. Rest in him. Trust in him. It is profoundly satisfying to us as Christians to know that in the end, what matters is not our feeble hold on God, but God's strong grip on us. Christian, Paul prayed that God would sanctify us completely, thoroughly that he would preserve your whole body, soul, spirit, blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, faithful is he who is calling. He will also do it. Praise God for his faithfulness. Amen. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, would you forgive us when we have focused on us, when we've depended on us, where we've relied on our own strength and failed to trust in you? Would you grant us rest, Lord? Would you empower our striving with your truth and the power of your spirit working with us, Father? That you would help us continue to grow. That we would become more sensitive to that remaining corruption. That we would grow in our hatred for it. That we would grow in the longing for Christ. That we would become more consistent in whacking and mortifying every sin that raises its ugly head in this life. But also that we would keep our eyes on Christ and trust that what you've begun in him, you will indeed bring to completion. Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Church family, as we come to the invitation, I know this has been a message primarily for the church, but it's one the church needs to hear. And so if you know yourself to be part of the church, you know yourself to be a Christian, but you are just weary I pray that you found rest in, in God's promises, that you find rest in his faithfulness and that your confidence would be fully in him. But, but church, the beautiful thing about sanctification is though each one of us is responsible, um, we don't have to do this by ourselves. We are surrounded by a church family who God has given us as aids and tools to help grow us in the likeness of Christ. He's given us means by which he decides to grow his people. He's given us his word, he's given us his spirit, but he's also given us his church, brothers and sisters that speak life into each other. And so let me encourage you, if you are, if you're listening to this this morning and, and you are just, you got a low score on the whack-a-mole game, right? Uh, you just, you can't seem to get ahead of putting sin to death and you are weary of that. Would you just simply do me a favor and reach out to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ and ask for their prayers, ask and confess um, and look for accountability within them. I know this church well, and I believe this church is fully equipped to be able uh, to help you in those ways. Um, but the real question is whether or not you're part of the church. See, if you're not a part of the church, and you try and put sin to death, then all you're ever going to see is failure. You're not even playing the game. And so the question would be whether or not you have, by faith, repented of your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we know that God is faithful. We said that part of his faithfulness, security of his forever faithfulness is sending his son Jesus to die on behalf of sinners, sinners who've rejected God's good and righteous rule, who've instead lived their lives their own way in outright rebellion of the God who made them. And so if that's you and you've never received the free gift of eternal life through repenting of your sins, let me encourage you to do so. God is taking care of your guilty statement by declaring his son who was innocent guilty on the cross. Jesus paid for the penalty of sinners like you and me and you can have his righteousness and free grace today. If that's you and you want to know more about that or how to do that, please reach out to myself or Pastor Justin We'd love to consider and walk you through what it looks like to receive gospel freedom and gospel joy. Uh, Friends, I'm praying for you and I pray that you find rest, especially for those who are weary. Love each and every one of you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Let's enjoy this last fitting song.